Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, a conversation about the significance of place, eliminating economic isolation, and the structure of belonging. My name is Rabbi Miriam Turlinchamp, and I'm your host for this episode with Peter Block and Yabom Gilpin-Jackson. This is the final episode in the series focusing on the six conversations from Peter Block's work. We've journeyed through invitation, possibility, ownership, dissent, and commitment. Now we land the plane with the gifts conversation. These conversations are designed to occur in small groups, seeking to produce transformation in communities. As we close this series, we'd once again like to begin with a question, which I'll ask in a couple of different ways. So I invite you to take a deep cleansing breath in and then out. Here's the question. What's the gift you currently hold in exile? In other words, what's the gift you haven't fully brought into the world? What's the gift you are that you're in denial of? What's the gift you hold that makes you nervous to share? What's the gift you have the greatest trouble acknowledging? Deep breath in and out the question one more time. What's the gift you currently hold in exile? One last breath and then hold the answer in your mind as we begin to listen to Peter and Yabom. It may be that all the other conversations are just a rehearsal for the gift conversation because the gifts conversation is the rarest of all conversations. The dominant culture, the world we grow up in, schools, organizations, church, whatever, they really are organized around competition, individualism, and deficiencies. And we have whole industries with questionnaires, coaching, counseling, executive coaching, whole industries to help me work on my deficiencies. They have a, a social service industrial complex in every city. And if you want to raise money for people that you care about, you have to demonstrate their deficiencies. The focus on gifts is to declare that you are enough. And even if you have some things in exile, you feel you shouldn't. That's just an old story, that I'm not enough. The consumer society is based on one sentence. You are not enough. And I have the answer to that. And so part of creating an alternative future You can't create an alternative future if you focus on deficiencies and get people working on their deficiencies. It just makes things a little better. It doesn't mean we don't have deficiencies. It means that they don't take us anywhere. They don't move us. They don't create an alternative future. A friend of mine says that her one wish is that in a state of Ohio, every 18-year-old would know what their gifts are. They would know what they're good at. And most of us don't discover what we're good at for a long time. And so the gifts conversation is information I need to know to give meaning to my life. Now, my wounds and my deficiencies may give me clues for direction because a lot of us spend our lives trying to give to the world what we missed, heal from the world what hurt us but we need our gifts to do that. The challenge for us in 
bringing about alternative futures to make sure gifts is in every conversation because nobody's going to ask for it. I've said many times, the only culturally times people get your gifts is when you retire, then they tell you what they liked about you now that you're going. And even more than that, when you die, I know when I die, I will be forgiven and people will talk about my blessings, but I'm going to miss it. It's called a eulogy. So that's kind of the context for this. What we want to emphasize here is what gifts have you not fully brought into the world? Second is, are you willing to put your gifts into words? See, when I put my weaknesses into words, I have fun. I don't mind. I learned to do that when I was a kid. My mother would ask me, what happened, Peter? Did something wrong. Did you break that plate? And I said, no. And she looks at my feet and there's broken glass. And she says, what's that down there? I said, I don't know. And she says, did you do it? No. Well, don't do it again. I said, okay, conversation done. So I've learned how to handle. You've learned how to handle your bosses all your life. What I can't handle is when I'm confronted with my gifts, when I'm confronted with what I have to bring into the world that I haven't done yet, because that puts a burden on me that I can't bear. Unfortunately, if I'm ever going to experience or collectively, we're going to experience our freedom. It's got to be around our gifts and we have to know and at least be able to talk about what they are. So this session is to get used to that and to help you think about what are the things you're good at. And it's not about your qualities. I know you have a good heart. I know you mean well. I know you care about people. I know you've taken care of your grandmother. It's deeper than that. It's God kind of made a deal with you. I mentioned last time that I thought I was given an invoice when I was born. I say, okay, I gave you life, now pay me back. But there was a second message. I says, okay, I gave you life, now do something with it. And I am not going to do something with my deficiencies. I'm going to do something with what I'm good at, with my gifts, what I understand. Gift conversation confronts people with purpose and with freedom. And that's why we don't want to do it. So I want to give you a methodology of gifts. I'll lay that out just to warn you when we get into it. Tell somebody what they did. It was useful to you. Gifts doesn't mean here's what I like about you. It means what are you doing that's useful? What did you do that touched me? What did you do that meant something to me? What did you do that moved us all forward? Those are important things to happen. And then when somebody says something nice to you, you say, thank you. I like hearing that. Most of the time I spit it away. They say, Peter, you, you know, you're really helpful what you said. And I go, yeah, but, you know, it wasn't that hard. You're so obvious. No, you say, thank you. I like hearing that. Tell me more. And why did my gift mean something to you? Those four questions close the deal. They change the world. Because now we're talking collectively about not only what we're good at, but what we mean to each other. And that's the groundwork for all the activism that you come in here with. The problem with activist movements, the problem with protest movements, they're only focused on other people's transformation. Now they're worth doing. They're worth putting attention on. But they don't bring about real change. The change comes when groups of people say, okay, let's give form to something that didn't exist before. Let's create a future that's distinct from the past. And that's always done through speaking. These conversations are not just ways of getting together. They're not just ways of getting connected. They are speaking a future into the world. 
And we did that in the first session. We talked about possibilities. Now you might say, well, what are the gifts I am? When the commitment conversation began, we say, what's the commitment that you are? That I can count on. What's the gift that I am? I can count on. The rest of the story, part of the creating a future is to put to bed the story of how we think we got here. Once it's named, I have to act on it. And it always takes courage. I'm always embarrassed. I've been running workshops for a long time. And then I came to Cincinnati, I decided maybe I should be a citizen instead of a facilitator. And so I'm in a small group going through this junk and answering the same questions. And somebody says, okay, Peter, hot shot. What courage is required of you at this stage of your life? And I didn't want to answer the question. Because if I did, I'd have to do something about it. And I finally said, well, to bring my gifts publicly into the city, which I'd avoided all my life. I like the language. You confront people with their freedom. There's a price to pay for your freedom. Because you fully show up and people like you're talking with John Lewis and Cicely Tyson. They knew what their last words would be. And for all their greatness, it had something to do with gratitude. And the fact they were seen while they were alive. was beautiful. And that's on us. Praise keeps us from being humble. I think praise is different than telling me what I did. Now, it could lead to hubris. It could lead to arrogance. But if you say it in the moment in this meeting, it's unlikely to do that. Humility is deepened with the understanding that I came here to give something. It's not that I came for praise. I didn't come for praise. That's why when I ask you, what did it mean to you? Exploring my own humility. I want to know what I'm here for. That's humble. I want you to know what I'm here for. That's praise. That's arrogance. Now, you may know your gifts, but there's a depth to which you can experience and propel them into the world that you haven't even dreamed of. It's not that you don't know yourself. The challenge here is to change the world through speaking. Change the world. All transformation begins with language and speaking. And so it's not possible to have a gift and say, well, I not only know what it is, but I have, I have fully brought it in. You haven't brought it everywhere. So, Peter, you asked to confront us with our gifts, so we thought we'd ask it of you. What is the gift you are that you have the greatest trouble acknowledging? Another way you often phrase that is, what is the gift you hold in exile? I think the hardest is that I have language that makes a difference to the world. I have a capacity to speak and write that has real impact. I used to be happy just because I could do it. But if you ask me, really, what's dawning on me at the fourth quarter of my life, then maybe what I have to say matters. Or the way I say it, I don't have any thoughts that are my own. But there's something in the speaking and the language and the way I things from weird places and make them sound related. It's something like that. I hate saying that because now I will have to finish my book. What's the gift you currently hold in exile? As you bring to mind your answer, I invite you to consider this next question. What's the courage required of you at this stage in your life? In other words, what's the courage required of you to bring your gift fully into this world? And as you consider this answer, I'd like to share a piece that I'm currently working on. I saw the owl again tonight, wings spread like silver fingers, a screech, deep dive making all the rabbits scatter. 
When I was little, it was all bramble and trees out here, and you never heard of the highway, which now gives the feel of a distant raging river whose torrents crest their way through the thick foliage with its perfectly manicured trails. Back then, the tree in the front yard was as high as the house. Now it towers above the roof, a foot for every year, evergreen and growing. My home, my heart, is a great owl hiding between the crush of traffic and the deciduous saplings, hunter and prey equal in size, hoot hoot hooting with the tensions of time. As we return, Peter and Yabom continue discussing the gifts conversation before closing the series. So the task for this is what's the courage required of you at this stage of your life? What's the courage required of you to, in a sense, fully bring your insight, your gift, who you are, fully into the world and into the world that you care about and have invested in? It doesn't mean you have to do it. It's fine to say this courage is required of me and I don't have it. That's good. Well, you will. You can put off anything you want. It's going to catch up with you. When people tell you, here's the courage required of me, ask them, what's the risk? What's the price you're going to pay if you move forward with something? And what's the price you're going to pay if you don't? There's a price to safety. And I always feel there's these two lines. One is people that want safety, and they get to the front of the line, and they say, what do I got to pay? And they say, well, just dependency. Okay, I own you. Do you want to be safe? If you want me to make you safe, company to make you safe, the belief system to make you safe, you want a religion that makes you safe, you want a president of the United States that makes you safe, well, the price you're going to pay is compliance. You're going to live a life of dependency, and then you're going to resent it and blame them because they didn't give you it. So there's a cost to courage. All these conversations take you to the same place, but just don't forget them. At some point, at some point, we got to talk about dissent. At some point, we got to talk about gifts. At, at some point, but you don't have to say, okay, we got six things to cover before we move on. You know, and then, then you take them with you wherever you go. Because they're all accountability conversations, really. They're asking people. It's not intimacy creating so much. They do that, but they, as soon as you answer one, you become a little more accountable to yourself and the world than you were before. There's no such thing as an autonomous person. Most spiritual practices, most yogi practices, most therapeutic practices are all working on you, individual. And that's why they don't work. I can't do anything without you. Now, you may not get much support in the circle that you're in, but you can find it anyway. And these questions are a fast track to support. When you're in an unkind environment, if you show up with curiosity, instead of advice or recommendations, you'll find you can't do it alone. And most of the people paid to help us think we can. We're given our lives to say that the community is a living, breathing organism. And these conversations are tools for building that kind of community. And they have to create space for people that don't agree, for people that dissent. I may have to be courageous even if I don't see the support, but over time, Without support, I think half of addiction is people that don't know how to get support. So give your life to it. Self-improvement is a form of violence. I would say 
ask the goddamn questions and don't worry about yourself so much. Six o'clock at night, work on yourself. If that's your hobby, you know, go to 25 self-help groups. All right. But during the day, these questions don't require anything more than, of you than what you are. So, Peter, we were going to end with something called an on commencement. <laughs> it was bored out of the conversation in which you said, how might we close? Because this is not an ending, it's a commencement. So what are your, what are your thoughts on the commencement slash on commencement of this moment? I think what this experience gives form to is our communal fate, our communal being. For a long time, in the early days, I started working on myself in Gestalt therapy. I went to all kinds of individual development. And I really tried to become a better person until I ran across this philosopher who told me I was just human. But now, these are the conversations that can prove to the world that change is really possible. It breaks my heart to see the activists who are right, whether it's race or economy or equity or the environment or the climate, or we raise our children. There's this belief that if I'm right and strong and have enough people with their feet next to me, the world will change. And I don't believe that. It breaks my heart for all this energy. I've been in this conversation about poverty and race and everything for 40 years. I haven't found the way or the words yet, but this is an expression that if we really wanted to change real transformation, It's not by going after people one at a time and giving them, trying to change their mind about anything. It's about changing the fact that every time we get together, we realize anything's possible. And when people get connected and don't feel isolated and alone, they're much more courageous and willing to see the world differently. And I think we can do that collectively. I've seen it with 5,000 people. So I hate the word scalable, but it is. And I think... Each of us job is to create a collective wherever we are. This also begins with some of these conversations. And instead of talking about people not in the room, which is the want of every group that gets together, we say, what's the crossroads we're at? What is it in our stance so far that's been so impotent? What are the gifts we came to bring this neighborhood? All of these things I would love to see in a group, in a neighborhood, in a place, in addition to an organization. So I'll offer the questions that have been coming to me. These are prepared over the last few weeks. These showed up for me post the final planning conversations. And then literally this morning, thinking about, well, what was the essence of where you left us with, Peter, in terms of this is not about ending, because you said, we don't need anyone's permission or blessing. We just need each other. We just need one another and community to make these changes. And the notion that we don't need blessing or permission. We don't need to be helpful. We don't owe anyone anything. We just need to host these conversations in those places and spaces that you're referring to. So my offering, which emerged to be part of this closing and this idea that we begin now, was first that phrase from comes from the Benedictine tradition around always we begin again. And for me, the gift of this has been 
the opportunity to stop, to reflect, and to know that I can begin again wherever I was. Whatever I had stopped, I can begin again. And I can move up until now. I might have held gifts in exile, and I can begin again. So that was the one thing. And then the other thing were these questions that emerged out of each of the conversations. Suddenly this morning, I thought, okay, when I think about invitation, what invitation are you contemplating that makes your heart race? In terms of possibility, what possibility have you not yet entered into? In terms of ownership, what contribution do you know you have to make to the world and you are delaying? In terms of descent, what joy are you foregoing? That came to me on the heels of the forgiveness one. What joy are you foregoing? Commitment. What is your commitment to community? Because Peter, you said we don't need anyone's blessing. We just need each other and to do this work as a communal practice. So what is your commitment to community? And gift. What gift have you been offered that you have rejected up until now? and now need to say yes to? Mm -hmm. What gift have you been offered that you have rejected up until now and now need to say yes to? It's really touching to me. This was very powerful for me. Thanks for listening. You can find more about the conversation in Peter's book, Community, Structure of Belonging, and in the show notes. For the next five episodes, we'll speak to practitioners who are using these conversations out in the world. This episode has been hosted by me, Rabbi Miriam Cherlinchamp, and it's been produced by the amazing Joey Taylor and music from Jeff Foreman. <laughs>